Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, so this week, this week we don't have a, a normal Torah portion because today is the second day of Shavuot. And so we had a reading from the book of Deuteronomy and Habakkuk. And uh, so what was really impressed upon me was a theme of generosity from the passages today. And, and when we consider, you know, the, the season of Shavuot and when we, when we look at what we've been, <laughs> what we've been praying for the, uh, for the past seven weeks, right? We've been praying for, um, we've been praying for God's name to be extolled among the nations. We've been looking for him to reveal himself beyond uh, just the four corners, right, of, the, of our of our walls, for all nations to come and behold His beauty, and we've been asking to, in some of the prayers, for for God to release the captives, right, to set people free. And when we look at the readings from Deuteronomy today, we see God really taking care to be sure that the poor are provided for, to that those who have been uh, impoverished can be set back on their feet through the Shemitah. And then also that even those who have been slaves due to uh, their own sin and transgressions would have, would be set free at the end of their years of service. And that not only when they, well, some of, some of these slaves are, are because they sold themselves. Some are because of, of actually court appointed uh, punishment. But regardless of what situation they came under enslavement, they were set free and given wealth so they could go in and reestablish themselves. So we really have this generosity. We have release. We have redemption. It's multiple, multiple themes here. So I want to start in Deuteronomy 16, 9 through 17. It says, You shall count seven weeks. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a free will offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are, who are among you at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. You shall keep the Feast of Booths seven days when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your wine press. You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast of the Lord your God at the place that the Lord your God will choose, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands, so that you will be altogether joyful. Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed, 
Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. Now, multiple times in this passage, we see God saying to rejoice in all that the Lord has blessed you with, right? And uh, specifically, you know, that's, that's it. It says, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who's within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you. Now, when you look at that list, we've got eight different categories that are rejoicing along with you. Okay? The first four are within your household, right? With your son, daughter, male servant, and female servant. And the other four are among you within your towns. The Levite, the stranger, right? Or in, in some trend, like the, uh, this is actually the Hebrew word, ger, which can mean stranger. It can mean proselyte. Uh, there's a couple of different kinds of ger. There's the ger tzedek, which is one who has was a stranger who became uh, became legally Jewish through conversion, and then there's also the stranger who is uh, dwells among you, the ger toshav, right? And that's a, a, a Gentile who is worshiping the Lord but is not legally Jewish. So you've got these different uh, four different people who God says to rejoice with, who are not part of your household. And according to Rashi, God God says, your four, or your household, correspond to my four. And God's saying that his four are the Levite, the stranger, the widow, and the orphan. He says, if you gladden my four, I will gladden your four. Which is a pretty cool thing to think of, right? He's saying, these people the Levite, the stranger, the orphan, and the widow, they don't have an inheritance in the land from which they can produce food, right, to, to eat from, which is, uh, I mean, that's what these festivals are for. They're, they're harvest festivals, right? He's saying they don't have this land to produce, but you do. I've blessed you, and the blessing with which I bless you, that's to overflow even to them, right? So those who don't, those who don't have can still share, right? God cares about all of them. And in Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 through 29, the Lord says, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain and of your wine and of your oil and the firstborn of your herd and flock that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Okay, so we see that those four repeated again there in Deuteronomy 14. 
Now, this tithe is known as the second tithe. The first tithe is the, the tithe of the agricultural products that are given to the Levites, who then take a tithe of that and give it to the priests. Now, the second tithe is in addition to that other one. But this one is set, a, set apart specifically for the purposes of rejoicing in the Lord at his appointed times from all the ways in which he's blessed you. Right? Now, you know, there's a the Shemitah cycle, right? It's a seven-year cycle where you work the land for six years, and in the seventh year, you don't, you don't sow or even harvest. Instead, the seventh year is for everyone, whatever the land naturally produces. And so then what's laid out here in Deuteronomy 14 is two years of take your second tithe to Jerusalem during the festivals and celebrate you and your family and share it with the Levites, right? Then in the third year, you, you bring it and you give it all to the Levite, the stranger, the widow and the orphan. So I mean, you're rejoicing with them, but it's, it's a tithe really to give them and bless them. And then in the fourth and fifth years, again, you go back to what happened in the first and second, where it's for you, your family, and the, the Levites. In the sixth year, again, given more broadly. And then the seventh year, there is no second tithe. Okay, so then one, after the Shemitah is done, you start back over on your cycle of those two, three-year periods. And again, right there, you, you see that God's intent is to bless those who had the inheritance and have that inheritance given to those who didn't have the inheritance, right? But it's still God providing and calling all to come before him and to rejoice in, in his bounty. So from this, we, we can see that God is serious about generosity, Right? He, uh, he calls us to be generous because he himself is generous. And as, as we were worshiping, the question was coming to my mind of, well, do you, do you really believe that he's generous? Right? Or do you believe, I mean, or do you, or do you think, well, he'll give just enough? Right? Because, I mean, you think about it. We know God will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory in Yeshua, right? And then we start to think about materialism and, you know, how far can we go? And we think, oh, wait, 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 maybe that's getting a little too greedy. And so maybe God will give me just enough so that I don't starve, right? And that's generous. And I should be thankful for that if he makes it so I don't starve. Praise God, right? But then is he, but is he generous, right? In all the ways, I mean, here we're reading... He's saying, in all the ways I'm going to bless you, come before me. Bring a, a free will offering according to how much and he's blessed you. It's from Deuteronomy 16.10. Um, and then saying that even what he's blessed you with, you'll be able to share that with these others. Right? There's, there's greater generosity in the Lord than I think we, we give him credit for or expect. It's a much better system, voluntary welfare. It is. Absolutely. It, what Trey just mentioned is it's a it's a voluntary uh, welfare system in a way, but it's not even welfare. That's one of the interesting things about this. It, it's yeah. It's it's like everybody coming together to to be one and to love the Lord. But the other thing is that God really cares about the dignity 
of all of his people, right? It's, uh, he doesn't set things up to just be a handout. And, and I'll explain uh, here in this next verse, Leviticus twenty three twenty two, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now this is the second time that the Lord gave this command not to harvest the corners of your field. It was also in Leviticus 19.9. And this one specifically in Leviticus 23 follows right after the command of Shavuot. Okay? So again, tying this aspect of generosity to God's appointed times. And the thing about not harvesting up to the ed- corners of your, your land, there's nothing here that says what that corner is or what that edge is. It's up to the person who is harvesting their field to decide how big the corner is that they're going to leave, right? So they may leave very large corners, or they may leave small corners. And it's it's up to them. It's a really a free will offering. I mean, it's a commanded offering to give, right? But then it's up to them to themselves to freely give a large one or a small one, right? But then... It doesn't say harvest the grain and go take it to the, the person standing on the corner, right? It says you leave it there in the field, and then that person has the dignity to go and to gather and, and, and to take, right, um, that which has been given to them by the Lord. I think there's a beauty in that. And we even see that, um, you know, when it, when it comes to the kinsman redeemer that can come and redeem someone's land who's become impoverished and, and, and lost their land, right? Uh, because that gives them the, the person the ability to be restored, put back on their feet. But it's not a, a totally free thing either because there's still a debt to be paid back to that redeemer who came and gave them back their land. The same with uh, when a loan is given to someone. Uh, in Deuteronomy 15, it talks about the laws of the Shemitah. And... You would give to your brother who's in need, but it's you're giving a loan, and they're going to pay back the loan. It's not just free handouts. Now, if the Shemitah year comes before they were able to pay back the loan, then it's it's gone. You know, the, the loan is wiped away. They're set free from it, according to Torah. But it was still, it was still assistance given to a brother with dignity and saying, look, I'm giving you this loan, and now I, you're going to work, and you're going to produce... And you're actually, you're not becoming dependent on the handout, if that makes sense. Well, even when you talk about you know, handouts, even they're not harvesting the corners of the field. The poor still have to go out and pick those sheets. And I mean, that took time and effort. And right. That was laborious. I mean, you see with Ruth, she was out there working all day to get her food. So it still wasn't, he could have said, hey, go ahead and harvest all of it and give some to the poor. Right. All the work, legwork. Absolutely. They would be a part of it, and they would go out and work to receive that gift. And the same thing with, with a, uh, someone who was a slave, even from that. So if the court said, okay, you've committed this act, and now you're going to be sold into slavery to, as, a, as a punishment, they would learn a valuable trade from the family that they were sold to. And then that family would send them off uh, 
with with good good things. I'll read this here. Deuteronomy fifteen twelve. It says, "If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him." But that person worked for six years, and now as a result of their labor, they were then given. A blessing for it such that they could then go forward and prosper as opposed to falling back into the same misfortune that they had been in before god's about restoration and about dignity and having our generosity come from a place of of restoration and helping people to get back on their feet as opposed to just be like i'm, I'm giving you so you can stay in an impoverished state does that make sense it's kind of an interesting mindset there but that's that's how our generosity should be for for love and restoration that love really being i want to see you walk whole right not just meet your current need at this moment but that you can be have your need met over and over again right a harvest of needs being met if you will now with the corners of the field being left i thought this was a interesting thing um, from Matthew 12, we're not going to read all of this story, but here in Matthew 12, verses 1 through 2, the scripture says, At that time Yeshua went through the grain fields on Shabbat. His disciples became hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and eat them. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your, dis- your disciples are doing what is not permitted on Shabbat. So when you read the story, they're walking through a field that's not theirs, and they start plucking the grain harvesting the grain. Well, the first thing that would come to your mind is, why are they stealing? <laughs> They're taking it from the corners. Exactly. So they weren't, because, you know, that, that would be the first thing is, why are your disciples stealing? Not why are they doing what's not lawful on Shabbat, right? So really, they, they weren't stealing, even though they were in someone else's field. They were in the corners. So if they were, if they were harvesting from the corners, what does that tell you? Well, it says that they were poor. <laughs> That they were in need, right? It also tells you what time of the year it was, right? You know, it was either the barley harvest or the uh, or the wheat harvest. Uh, there was one translation in Luke that I saw that said that it was during the second Shabbat of the counting of the Omer. I don't know where they got that from, but that would have placed it back in uh, at the end of Nisan, right, in the barley harvest. But anyway, still, it's when we begin to learn more of the scriptures, we begin to see more in the stories that were going on and understand why was this question asked versus that question. Um, But again, they were able to partake of someone's generosity. Okay. Now, when it comes to our generosity and giving, We're storing up treasures in heaven, storing up treasures in the Lord, storing up treasures uh, for the age to come. Yeshua says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we could really take that in, I think that would help us 
to begin to walk in a, in a generosity mindset, right? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that when we, when we, when we are generous, when we do give, we receive a blessing for it. Now, we may not be able to see that blessing right away. It may not even be in this lifetime, right? But the treasure has been stored up in heaven in God in the age to come. There's a, a story I read that I thought was such a great illustration. And what the story said was that there was a, a small town in Hungary that had hired a rabbi to teach their to teach their children. But they were a poor community and they couldn't afford to pay him. And so what they did is that each family within the community took turns and they would bring a meal to the rabbi's family every day as a way to support him. Well, as time went on, his, his, his wife died and his children moved away and so he was alone. And he became too old to continue teaching and the, the town brought in a, a new rabbi to teach the kids. But there was a woman there in the community who said, well, you know what, I still want to support him. So every day she would, she would walk up the stairs to his, to where he lived and she would bring him lunch, you know, and she did that until, until the rabbi passed away. Eventually this woman passed away as well. And, but that continued, that community continued to, to go on. But when World War II came around, the community was rounded up and they were taken to a camp. But the, but the woman who had fed the rabbi, her grandchildren were, were saved by a Christian woman who took them in and hid them. And she put up, you know, a false wall and she would, uh, she would always give them their food. And the Nazis came but couldn't find them. So they never were discovered. And later when the, uh, when the kids had grown up, or, you know, the, the, the grandchildren had grown up, they found out that the um, that the place where they were hidden was the was the rabbi's old house, and so the very steps that their grandmother used to walk up to feed the rabbi were the steps that Christian woman walked up to feed them. It's an incredible story, <laughs> but how? Uh, how wonderful it is, you know, that, that God saw what was being done and he gave a reward. That, that that grandmother never knew, you know. She was just being faithful with what she could do to be generous and loving. And God said, I'm going to honor that to the generations. And because of that, her grandchildren lived. It's beautiful. But that is storing up treasure in heaven. And when we, when we consider all the commands that we're given to be generous, you know, we think about, well, why? Why are there so many commands to be generous, right? Well, it's because God is generous, right? He gave us the Torah as a revelation of, of himself and of his character. And so if he's asking us to be generous, it's because he's first generous, Right. In, uh, in Matthew 7, 
Yeshua says, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it shall be opened. For what man among you, when his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or when he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So in all things, do to others what you would want them to do to you. For this is the Torah and the prophets. Now we've all heard that before, right? That we need to keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking, right? And that God is a good father and he gives good gifts, right? But this last verse says, So in all things do to others what you would want them to do to you. For this is the Torah and the prophets. I mean... Consider, God's asking you to do this because he does it. He's treating you the way he wants you to treat him. Does that make sense? And Yeshua says, whatever you've done to the least of these, my brothers, you've done to me. Whenever you brought them a, a drink, whenever you've clothed them, whenever you've fed them, you've done that to me. This ties it all back to the generosity and the graciousness of God and that this is a reflection of his character, of his nature, of his love. And he says in his appointed times, come, rejoice with me and share it all my goodness with your family and those who are mine. You know? <laughs> yeah. So how do we give good gifts to God, right? We give, we give to the poor. We perform good deeds unto Him. Because He has renewed us, right? In Luke 6, 37-38, it says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgiven, forgiven, you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Again, this goes right back to, if you gladden my four, I will gladden your four. <laughs> it's a cycle. It's a cycle of blessing. God blesses you, and you bless others, and God blesses you as a result which actually allows you to bless, bless others even more. It's a beautiful pattern. Now, speaking of the four, right? I mentioned it a little earlier. These are four that don't have an inheritance in the land, but they still benefit from the fruit of the land. And I mentioned that the proselyte or the gare, the stranger, can be a proselyte or it can be one who is just dwelling among Israel. And they they receive a blessing from God's abundant provision to the inheritor. Right? So the bless God's blessing first goes to the inheritor and then overflows to those who are with the inheritor. Okay. In Matthew fifteen, twenty one through twenty eight we have this story. Now Yeshua left from there and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that district came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, 
O master, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. And when his disciples came, they were urging him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he responded, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So she came and got down on her knees before him, saying, Master, help me. And answering, he said, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Master, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then answering, Yeshua said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed in that very hour. So here's Yeshua sent only the lost tribes of Israel. That's where he's going out and calling Israel to repent and to turn back to God in faithfulness and in righteousness. And this woman from from Canaan, a Canaanite woman, she, she was from uh, the area of Syrophoenicia, and she came and was asking for blessings of, of healing to her daughter. And he said, you know, no, this this... This healing bread is for the children of Israel. But she had insight, and she she probably knew the Torah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because, or, or either that or she just had insight, you know. But to know that the blessing given to the inheritor can overflow to those who are not the inheritor. She knew it, and she she called that out in faith. And he said, because of your faith, your daughter's healed. Now, I, I bring this up because we, we mentioned the other night at Shavuot that these covenants that God has made are national covenants that he's made with the Jewish people. right? And we know today that through Yeshua and the new covenant, the, the, the door has been opened to the nations to come and become uh members of the commonwealth of Israel and to, to be partakers of the covenants, right? And that, that in itself is part of this principle of the blessing overflowing beyond just the inheritor and into the others. When Yeshua, um, okay, we're going to go to Acts 1, 4 through 8. Now while, now while staying with them, Yeshua commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father promised, which he said, You heard from me. For John immersed with water, but you will be immersed in the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, not many days from now. So when they gathered together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? And he said to them, It is not your place to know the times or the seasons which the Father has placed under his own control, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and through all Judah and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so Yeshua says he was sent to the lost tribes of Israel, or he was sent to Israel to bring Israel back, and that the bread was not for others, but the intent was that it would overflow to others, right? Now, at the time that all of this is taking place, the Jewish understanding with regard to the Holy Spirit was that the Holy Spirit was given to the Jewish people. It would come upon Jews with power so that they could prophesy, they could 
be inspired to to write the scriptures and so forth. And you see many examples in the in the Tanakh of the Holy Spirit coming upon uh, people to to work and to move within them. But they didn't believe that the Holy Spirit came upon non-Jews. Okay. Now there are some examples in the Bible where, like Balaam, the Spirit came upon him that he would prophesy. But the 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 understanding was that. Uh, essentially, the, the nations had forfeited the right to have that Holy Spirit come upon because of how Balaam abused it, even. Um, so there's the belief at that time was the Holy Spirit would not come upon a non-Jew. And when we, when we come to the book of Acts, chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit being poured out. I'm going to read just real briefly on that. We know that the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. And in Acts 2, 4, it says, And they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. So this scripture is talking about Jews from all the nations had come to gather for Shavuot. And now they were seeing this. And they go through and list various countries that that had that had the Jew, Jews had come from various countries. Now, this outpouring of the Spirit on this day was upon Jewish people. This wasn't on all the nations, okay. And but yet Peter still stood up and and said that this is fulfillment of Joel where he says, And it shall be in the last days that I will pour forth in my spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall even dream dreams. Now, within that, it's not the complete fulfillment of that passage, but it is a fulfillment of it, where God is pouring forth his spirit, but it says on all mankind, but at this point it's just on Jewish people. And that still fits within the framework of what they were expecting. Okay, the Holy Spirit can come upon Jewish people. There are these people who are believing and they're being immersed. But Yeshua said that this gospel would go out and be preached in all Judea and Samaria and even the remote parts of the earth that we read there in Acts 1. And he he said specifically Judea, Samaria, and then out to the ends of the earth. Well, there in Acts 2, you see the Holy Spirit being poured out in Judea. And if you fast forward to, to Acts 8, in Acts 8, Philip, not Briggs, goes up to uh, Samaria. Okay, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the, to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the, the Messiah. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Then going forward to verse 14 says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Yeshua. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So now the Holy Spirit's being poured out on the people of Samaria, right? Now, this was new, but 
if you look back at the history, then there's some connection with the Samaritans, with the the Jewish people, from the original deportation uh, by the Assyrians. But there had been big rivalries between Judea and Samaria, and in Samaria they had uh, different customs, even uh, different parts of the Torah and such. So now the Holy Spirit is coming into Samaria. Well, if you go forward to Acts 10, you know, a little further down the line now, a good number of, a good number of years, uh, actually I can't say it's a good number of years, um, let's just say later, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> later, we come to chapter 10, where Cornelius has a vision that, that he's to send for, for Peter. And that's when Peter sees his vision coming down with the, the sheets coming down from heaven with all the different animals on it. And the Lord says, arise, kill, and eat. And Peter's saying, no way. There's unclean stuff on there. I've never done that. Would never do it. Right? And so then God says, well, God reveals to him that he's not to call unclean what God has called clean. And the Holy Spirit reveals that what, what God was speaking of was not to call Gentiles unclean. For God had called them clean. Okay. Now, I probably should have read more of that passage, but uh, <laughs> but within that, um, the Spirit told him that he should go and not have any reservations about going with the people. Okay. Now, in Acts ten, verse thirty-four. When, when he had come to Cornelius' house, Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Right. So that's the revelation that God had given to Peter. Then, going forward, Peter began to tell, tell them about the good news of Yeshua. And the scripture says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that means the, the, Jewish, the Jewish people who were believers in Messiah, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Yeshua Messiah. And then they, they asked him to remain for some days. So they were surprised that the Holy Spirit could be poured out on a Gentile. Right? I mean, it was probably already shocking for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on the Samaritans. Right? But, okay, not as far of a stretch. But now we're getting to the Gentiles and their whole mindset was being reworked. To say, wait a second. When when Yeshua said to the remotest parts of the earth, he might have been on you know, he might have been alluding to something more just then we're gonna go out, find the Jews and the other nations, and they're going to receive the Holy Spirit. He's saying he's going to bring them in. And in Isaiah forty nine, five through six, and now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. And that Israel might be gathered to him. Wait a minute. I have quoted the wrong verse, apparently. No, wait, no, I'm, I'm going the right way. I just haven't finished it. Sorry. <laughs> Let me start over. This, this passage is talking about the Messiah. Okay. 
Now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, speaking of Messiah, Yeshua, to bring Jacob or Israel back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Right? Well, this that's happening in Acts 10 is the fulfillment of that passage. That Yeshua's light now has been sent out to reach the ends of the earth. Right? And then continuing, he says, Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor I have answered you. In the day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, Come out, and those who are in darkness appear. They shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. <clears throat> so, within this, even in that passage, he's calling for the captives to come forth, for people to be set free, for the Messiah to be a blessing and a light to all the nations that will go forth and will bring back God's possession. <clears throat> and what we have in this, really, it's God's, it's God's graciousness. It's his blessings, again, that are overflowing. Right? You think about the grace that we've received through Yeshua. It's his merit. It's his favor that he has earned before the Father that is so great that it overflows to the to the promised seed and to and to the ends of the earth, right? Our cup overflows, right? And then through the Spirit, God has given us abundant love. He's given us a, a promise of what's to come. Ephesians 1, 7-14 says, In Him we have, speaking of Yeshua, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the removal of trespasses in keeping with the richness of His grace that He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will and keeping with His good pleasure that He planned in Messiah. The plan of the fullness of times is to bring all things together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on, on earth, all in Him. In him we also were chosen, predestined according to his plan. He keeps working out all things according to the purpose of his will, so that we who were first to put our hope in Messiah might be for his glorious praise. After you heard the message of truth, the good news of your salvation, and when you put your trust in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of his possession to his glorious praise. 
right? So here at Shavuot, the Lord poured out his spirit as this down payment, this pledge of what was going to come, this guarantee of inheritance, and that God was going to complete the redemption of his possession, right? And that completion is to come in, 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 the, days of he- in the days ahead. But the thing is that God really poured out abundant blessings. And within all this, we get a context for how he says, you shall bless others according to how all, all the ways that God has blessed you. Right? So we get to share not just in the provision that we have um, materially or from food or whatever it is that the Lord has given to us, but from the abundance of blessings that he's given us in the spirit with the light of life, with true love and compassion that looks to restore those who are in need. And speaking of his generosity, I was thinking of Philippians. Actually, I don't know what I was thinking of. It was good, though. Uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, I will read this since since I actually went here. But in, in Philippians 4.4, 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Yeshua Messiah. But the, uh, the verse I was thinking of, it comes back to me, I'll, I'll say it, but uh, somehow it has left me. Uh, but it's along the lines of, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we think or ask, may he guard your hearts and minds in Yeshua. But that's the thing, who can do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we think or ask. And you go back and think, do you really believe God is generous? Yeah. He is beyond all that we can think or ask. And he calls us to enter into that with him, into that abundance, and to come and rejoice before him. That others, too, might see the light of Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Did anybody else have anything that you, you want to share? Philip? Mayod, or yeah, Mayod, which is very which can be strength yeah with your with like your everything that's the funny thing that that passage says with all your very and and the sages three times said what does that mean very what is it Chelsea yeah that's that's right Chelsea just said it with resources and I think somebody maybe Diego had said that resources yeah, strength, resources, might, your everything. And, and everything that God has given you. Your resources all come from above. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. That's what James 1.17 says. So with all your resources, he's given those to you for you to love him. 
And when you love him, you can use that. You know, Deuteronomy 16.10 says, you know, bring voluntary offerings to the Lord and rejoice before him. And in the same passage, he's saying, bring the tithe, the bounty of what I've given you and share with others. So we're loving God with all of our resources when we love him and our neighbor and our family, our household. It's so so beautiful, right? Because when you think about it, it comes right back to what Yeshua said about what's the greatest commandment. Shema, you know, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and then to love your neighbor as yourself. It goes back to the whole, that which you want done to you, do to another. It's part of God's character revealed to us just in the, multiple layers, Right? all coming together to give us that same message of what the two the two things, the two commands that all the Torah and prophets stand upon. Loving God and loving our neighbor. And and doing it with an eye to restoration. Yeah. Amen. Yes, David uh, Diego just said that by doing what he's commanding and doing what he does, we become conformed into his likeness and his image. And we do. That's that's the goal of the Torah is to lead us to Messiah, right? To lead us to, to know him, but also to become like him. Yeah. Amen. Oh, say it. Say it again. So he loves us with all his heart, soul, and his resources. So he's just asking us to do the same thing. Yeah, that's that's excellent, Philip. That the Lord is loving us with all of his heart and all of his resources. Right? Um, what's that? So he, is generous. so he is generous. Yes, that's the answer to the question. Excellent. So that what you're looking for is Ephesians three, um, but what comes before it is a lot about. This reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations. Amen. That's so great. Uh, for anyone watching on, online, that was Ephesians three fourteen through 21. Yeah, speaking of God's, God's graciousness and generousness. Amen. That's excellent. Um, I love the picture that, as you were saying, when we hold on to what we have, we place ourselves in the in the position of provider, and the, and we actually it doesn't strengthen us. But it's when we put ourselves in trust of God as the provider, then we gain new strength. Right. Yeah. 
true. All right, so let's start the sermon. No, I'm <laughs> Yeah, I love that too. Uh, a righteous man is never forsaken, and his children never beg bread. And you know, um, you know, with what you're saying too about he gives us just enough, so we always keep coming back. You know, the scriptures warn, you know, the Israel when when you go into the land and you become you become fat with all the the blessings, you know, then your heart can turn away. Whereas, like, if you think about it, if if you take you take a lot of that. Uh, the produce of the land, like whatever God's blessing you in. If you turn a lot of that back into blessing and giving, you normally would think, well, then I'm going to become impoverished, right? But it just puts you right back in that I'm going back to the Lord. You're not, I'm not saying go give to the point where you become destitute. That is not a, that is not a biblical teaching, okay? But it's, it's like uh, of all the abundance that you've gotten, if you're giving back to the Lord, then you're still you're benefiting from all of it, but you're still going back to the Lord as my provider, as opposed to what you gave me a few years ago. That's my my that's my security, right? And it, it's then we begin to have a trust in something that is false. Um, so that's really good. I love the story of the boy who gave the fish and the loaves because he gave so little compared to what was needed, <laughs> but it didn't matter. <laughs> I mean, it, that was, that was probably a very generous gift from the boy, by the way, I'm not trying to make little of what he gave, but just to look at the need compared to what was offered. And then to look at the, the sufficiency of God to provide. Well, he could say too, this could be a meal for me. I could be fed, you know, what good is it going to do if I give it to all these thousands of people? There's like a lot of justification, and you're like, "Well, I'm just gonna eat it, and we should all be full. It wouldn't do anybody else any good." Right. Yeah. That is the uh, that, that is the ultimate part of this story. Because when Yeshua did, I mean, he he, he came down. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so what Ben just said is that the, it was a poor man's meal, the fish and the bread the boy offered, and that that would have been symbolic of of giving all, even or it was a giving all. It's, it's like the woman with the with the two mites who put them in the the offering box in the in the temple. She gave all she had, and those offerings, those voluntary offerings, uh, can do great treasures in heaven. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Let's um, let's pray. Lord, we love you and we bless you. We thank you that you are good and you do good. We thank you, Lord, that you are generous, that you have loved us so well and given us such wonderful blessings. Lord, help us, strengthen us to bless others. We know you've already equipped us, Lord. Pray, Lord, that we would walk humbly before you, that we would seek your face, that we would glorify your name, and that we would spread the light of Yeshua to all the ends of the earth.
for the glory of your name. And we give you thanks for this uh, season of Shavuot, Lord. And we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit and for all that you are in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Thank you.